The following audio is from The Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. I want to give a little shout out to Evan on the sea shanty this morning. So thank you for that as we jump into a brand new series called Discipleship. Um, If you're not aware, Sea Shanties had a a level of fame about six or eight months ago for like a week. So anyway, um, just thought I'd go ahead and shout that out. Um, That was a joke, but you can be serious all you want. Um, Hey, as we jump into that series, or as we jump into this series today, um, there's a bunch of different scriptures I'm going to refer to. Typically, we'll take one in particular, but as an intro, it's a little bit different. So I've got a bunch of places we're going to land um, if you've got a Bible app or you've got your Bible, I mentioned bringing it all the time. And uh, the truth is we're going to be in Romans, Philippians, Corinthians, James, uh, John. Uh, so anyway, we'll get to those here in a moment. Um, earlier, Eli mentioned on the announcement video, Irresistible, to class. Heather and I are teaching for the second round here coming up next Monday, January 31st for six weeks. And um, I bring it up. I just want to read to you the intro of the book real quick and, and, and talk for a moment about why I think it's really important. It opens up like this. Much of what makes American Christianity so resistible to those outside the faith are things we should have been resisting all along. While many of us have been working hard to make church more interesting, it turns out that fewer people are actually interested. And while most people outside the church continue to have a favorable view of Jesus, they don't necessarily have a favorable view of his body, the church. That's a problem. It would be like me saying, I like you. I just don't want to be around your body. The decline of Christianity in America, the popularity of the new atheists, and the meteoric rise of the nuns underscore something that's been true for generations but didn't matter much until now. Modern mainstream Christianity is fatally flawed. Those uh, Those flaws make it fragile and indefensible in the public square. The populist version of cultural Christianity we see today is anchored in two assumptions that create a straw man version of our faith. Sadly, the straw man passes for actual faith in many evangelical churches. This version of Christianity is simplistic and easily discredited. For decades, college professors with biases against religion have found Christian freshmen easy targets. I've talked to, listened to, and read interviews, blogs, and books by dozens of folks who've left the Christian faith. I've yet to hear a story from anyone who abandoned Christianity based on anything directly related to Christianity, at least the original version anyway. I recently read a blog by a former worship leader who left the faith after she read a book proving contradictions in the Bible. Apparently, she grew up believing the foundation of our faith is a non-contradicting book. It's not. A renowned New Testament scholar recently acknowledged he lost his faith and embraced atheism because of suffering in the world. But the foundation of our faith is not a world without suffering. Pain and suffering don't disprove the existence of God. It only disproves the existence of a God who doesn't allow pain and suffering. Whose God is that? Not ours. Ours promised it. People leave the faith because they had a bad church experience. Me too. So what? Quantum physics doesn't undermine the claims of Jesus. Neither is natural selection. Unverifiable Old Testament miracles don't cause our house to come tumbling down. By the way, if something in the previous paragraphs made you wince, I can't tell you how happy I am you're reading this book. Keep reading and you'll be introduced to a better, more robust version of your faith. 
I say that because I want to challenge anybody that can take six Mondays in a row starting January 31st and be a part of this to sign up and be a part. Because I want to take you on a journey of looking at our Christian faith um, through a book like this because you do have especially a couple of younger generations that aren't so attuned or, or accustomed to being part of church world and faith because of certain assumptions that we've sort of made. So it's going to be a great discussion. You can sign up on our app at grove.church on the app store or uh, you can sign up at grove.church on our website site and uh, be a part of that. We're going to offer it online as well. So if you're online, you can tune in, but I encourage you if you can to be in person because we're going to have some great dialogue. So sorry to take a moment here and give you that pitch, but um, I thought it was that important. So love to see you be a part of that journey. Real quick question. It's a, it's a rhetorical question. I don't want an answer, but how many social media platforms do you think you could name? Don't, don't yell out loud, but think about it for a moment. How many social media platforms do you think you could name off the top of your head? Think about it for a second. Now, I want to give you, in 2021, the top 10 social media sites, okay? Facebook, we're familiar with that. Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Pinterest, Reddit, YouTube, and WhatsApp. And of course, there are countless others vying for our attention. And, and how do you know if you're a big deal on social media platforms? Um, most of the time we would say, well, how many likes did something get? Or how many comments did something get? And that's one way. And, and many of us in here have some level of social media. How many of you guys have some sort of social media platform? Just raise your hands. Okay, come on, raise your hands. Hi, okay, I want to know that. Most of us do. If not many of us, if not all of us in the room are familiar with this whole social media world. The best way to know that if you're sort of a big deal in the socials is how many followers do you have? And there are people in here that you gauge your life and your rise and fall every day by how many people are following you and how many people have requested to follow you if you have a private account. But the top five most famous people in the world, let's just take on Instagram alone, are number one, world-renowned soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo. So that's number one. He has the most followers on the planet, okay? Number two, and I don't know if this is sadly, but number two is Kylie Jenner. Some of you are not surprised by that at all. Number three, another soccer star, Lionel Messi. Okay, number four, most popular uh, Instagram follower is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So yeah, yeah, I knew that would get a little more than the others. Um, and then number five is actually Ariana Grande. Now, how many want to admit that you follow any one of those people? Just raise your hand, okay? Be ashamed of it, okay? About eight of you in here, the rest of you are like, yeah, I do, but I'm not gonna raise my hand. So we'll just keep going. Why, why do I bring it up today? Well, I, I bring it up because I wanna ask this simple question. And when we talk about social media, we, well, what is a follower? On social media, a follower by definition goes like this. Someone who has subscribed to an account in order to receive all of their updates. Specifically, or more detailed, it refers to a user who consciously chooses to see all of or most of the posts of another user in their newsfeed. That's it. Which then poses a certain question or a certain tension that I want to bring up today because I think it's a bigger deal than we might never understand. Jesus initiated our movement by saying something incredibly important. Does anybody know what he said? When we talk about followers... Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened, and, and, and then he appeared to the disciples, and he said a few things to them that were incredibly important. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples. 
The problem today is that when Jesus said, go make disciples, the word means followers. The problem with followers in Jesus' view of it and followers in the social media world is it is not the same thing, and yet many people that say that we're followers of Christ don't view it a whole lot differently than the social media world. So, so by definition, if a, if a disciple is a follower, which literally in the Greek word Jesus uses, it means follower, we assume subscribing somehow to Jesus gives us the, the sort of check mark we need. Coming to a gathering like this and hearing a message like this and leaving means we can check off the spiritual box and we're good. But that's not what Jesus meant by follower or by the word disciple. Because in that definition, there's not necessarily any change. And that's the problem. So let me go back to the Greek. In the Greek word Jesus uses, and I'll try to pronounce this correctly, but maybe I'll miss it, so sorry about that. He uses the word methetes. The word methetes means student, pupil, or literally follower. But if you, if you see the word, which is not on the screen, but if you see the word methetes, it starts with this, these four letters, M-A-T-H. Anybody know what that word is? You're like, I didn't come to church to learn math. Okay, it's the, it's the same word for the word mathematics. It's the same idea. And, and so for, for you and I, when we think about being a follower, it, it uses that core word math in the word methetes. And, and why do I bring that up as such a big deal? Or why do I make such a case for that being super important? Because in the core of the word math is not just add these together, divide by this, carry the one, subtract this, and, and come up with your answer. It's not just that. By definition, the word math that also includes the idea of being a disciple is this. Mental effort needed to think something through. So chew on that for a moment. Mental effort needed to think something through. That you and I aren't called just to be blind followers of some, you know, idea. We're not called to be followers in the social media sense that we read somebody's feed, we like what they have to say, we might comment on it, and that's great. The idea is you and I, if we consider ourselves followers of Christ, which many of us in here would say, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a Christian, I believe in what Jesus did. Well, there's something, there, there's some things implied there that I want to dive into in this series because I believe it's this important for you and I to understand. To be a follower of Christ is for you and I to use the mental effort of thinking through why our faith matters. Of thinking through when you and I open a book like this, that we, it's the, the Bible, that we open it and, and, and read it, that we look at it and go, how does what I know or learn today transform into how I live tomorrow? How does what I hear on any given Sunday change the way that I view how I love my neighbor? How does it change my ability to navigate the challenge of forgiveness in my life? How does it change what I do when I go to work every day, when I go to the store, when I do whatever I do all day, every, how does it transform that picture? It's being thoughtful about the words that we sing. When we sing a song like Waymaker and leaning into God, I do believe that. It's what even, you know, what, what this gal that was standing up here singing said. This is my wife, but anyway. Um, 
what, what she had to say about the, the, the picture of who God is to you and I. And that when we understand more and more of who God is, that it continues to transform who we're called to be. So to be a follower of Christ is to be thoughtful, making the mental effort to think through what did I hear and how does it change how I live? Or, or what influences me most? Or just this simple question, how does knowing fill in the blank, how does knowing this change how I live? From what I see in the letters that Christians wrote throughout what you and I would call the New Testament. See, one of the challenges of, of Scripture is this. It's not just the Bible. It's not just Scripture. There are letters written from individuals that care desperately about churches. And many of you know that. You're like, I already know this, but some of you don't. Some of you hear, hey, turn to Philippians, and Philippians is just another book in the Bible. But Philippians was a letter Paul wrote to a church he cared desperately about. And he wrote it from prison, and yet the theme of the book was joy. That alone is a miracle in itself. But, but when we look at what these writers like Paul, like James, like John, like Peter, when we look at what they had to say, you and I thumb through those pages and read those words. We're challenged to a point of what are we going to do with now what we know. And that's the whole idea. To be a follower of Christ, it starts here. And like I said, this is just the introduction, so we're gonna barely scratch the surface today. But let's start with this. To be what we would say a follower, to be a follower of Christ is to be transformed. And I know that I, I talk a lot about Romans 12, one and two, and I bring it up a lot. And if you haven't memorized it yet, please do. Challenge you to do that. But Romans 12, one and two, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That the beginning of this journey in Christ is hearing what God has done through the cross of Jesus. That for you and I, there was a problem that we would call sin. Things that you and I have done wrong, ways that we've missed the mark. And some of us, we, we say things that, that, that we regret, things that we feel, things that weigh us down terribly. But we understand that that, that sin, those things we've done wrong, separate us from God's holiness separate us from God in his justice. But again, in God's great love, he wouldn't leave us there. That's why the cross matters. A price had to be paid for the penalty you and I have incurred through sin. And that price was paid through the cross of Christ. The punishment that he bore so that you and I could find forgiveness. The punishment he bore so that you and I could have life. And so when, when Paul begins this, this Romans 12, 1, he talks about offering ourselves. That, that, that's, in, in some ways, that's what we talk about. Like last week, we had, we had 16 people in person and eight people online make a commitment to receive Christ, to invite Christ into their lives. Can we celebrate that for a moment? I've said before, best decision you could ever make, but that's just the beginning. When Paul talks about the idea of you and I surrendering, believing on what God has done in Christ and inviting that, God, forgive me of my sin, come into my world, be my savior from my mess and be my Lord that I follow you each day. Romans 12, one says, offer yourselves. So we pray that prayer, I offer myself to God, but it continues. We offer ourselves holy and pleasing to God. That's our spiritual act of worship. And then the next verse, 
Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you and I say that we're followers of Christ, then you and I are called to a process of ongoing transformation. How many of you didn't grow up in church world? Just raise your hands. How many didn't grow up in church world? Okay, I didn't grow up in church world. Some of you that have been here for a while have heard my story multiple times. But I didn't grow up in church world until I came here at 16 and a half and had an encounter with Christ that changed my life. Now, the catch was, because this is way back in the early 1990s, I had a whole bunch of cassette tapes. Anybody remember those? I had a whole bunch of cassette tapes that I listened to and I did the BMG music, send a penny, get 12 cassettes thing. You know, remember that? Some of you guys still owe money to them. You need to pay that, deal with that. I don't know how. But, but the tapes that I chose back then, and you, you can laugh at that, but I grew up in the mean streets of Marysville. I, I grew up and, and, you know, went to the Marysville skate in on Friday nights and walked home by Super Barn, grabbed a bunch of eggs, walked along the tracks, threw them onto State Avenue and hit cars, thought it was hilarious. I mean, I was a rough kid. Sneaking out, stealing chromies in the middle of the night and hood ornaments. I might still have yours, but I'm sorry about that. But as a kid growing up around here, I also had a bunch of music that, that today I'm really not proud of. And I've said before, like I was listening to Two Live Crew and Eze and NWA and, and, and as, as maybe kind of comical as that sort of sounds, if you know anything about those lyrics, two things. First of all, they're not anything you want to put in your head. Second of all, if you begin five, 10 seconds into any one of those songs, I could probably sing it verbatim, unfortunately. Now I say that because for me, I bring up Romans 12, one and two a lot because I realized like right between the eyes, I needed desperately the process of transformation. I had all those lyrics in my head and you can imagine what that would have been about. And so for me, I remember one night after a Wednesday night youth meeting and my youth pastor reminding us about life and holiness, all this stuff. And I remember feeling so like convicted about my music choices that I snuck up to his car on a Wednesday night after a youth service and had all my tapes and I put them right on top of his car, right where when he opens the door, he'd see the stack of tapes right there. And I'm like, never again. And what I did was I went to the Bible bookstore back then, which used to be up in Smoky Point, it's not there anymore, the Living Word Bible bookstore. And they had a section of music and you you might remember this, maybe not, but I went there and it, they had this thing where they would say, if you like this artist, and they would talk about some secular artist, then you'll love, and they would bring up a Christian artist. So it was like, if you like, you know, NWA, then you'll love JC Crew, okay? Let me just be honest with you, didn't translate at all, okay? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, if you loved Megadeth, then you'll love, like, no, that's not the same thing at all. Like, come on. But I, I bought into it, so I'm there, I'm buying some cassette. I bought J.C. Crew and Keith Green and stuff like that. And, and some of it was like, you gotta be kidding me. And some of it I still listen to today, but I was committed to the process of transformation. And I, wanted, I, wanted, I say that because for anyone in here that would say you're a follower of Christ or you're watching online, you're sitting there and you're processing what I'm talking about, for you and I to say that we're followers of Christ means that we're committed not just to a moment of saying, God, come into my life and save me so that I can get to eternity with you, which is amazing and important, it, it really is, but I'm committed to a process of transformation. And that's what Paul is talking about. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And by the way, part of the promise here is unbelievable. That you may be able to test and approve God's will. That you can have discernment about what comes next. That's what he's saying there. His good and pleasing and perfect will. 
to be a follower of Christ. And, and again, these are just simple things, and we're going to dive deeper into this in, in throughout this series. I'm super excited about it. But, but, and this is along the same lines, but to be a follower of Christ is to be action-oriented. Transformation means that you're committed to taking action. And that's where, it's a simple verse, but James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the first leader of the church in Jerusalem, James says, do not merely listen to the word, and in doing so, deceive yourselves, do what it says. So when you and I gather in an environment like this, or you and I gather in a life group, or you and I listen to a podcast or a sermon series from some church, or whatever it might be, we're responsible to take on what's being said and challenge ourselves by how does hearing what I just heard and knowing what I know then transform into how I live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's action-oriented to be a follower of Christ. I could read Ariana Grande's post all day long and couldn't care less about what I do about it. I can read Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I could maybe become a better soccer player football to the world, but soccer to Americans because we're weird. We already have football. But, but it doesn't necessarily challenge me to change anything. That's why I feel like there's a certain danger in our world of, of kind of, I don't want to say American or Western Christianity. I would just say a, a blend or a form of Christianity that we hear it or we gather and we check the spiritual box on a day like today, but it doesn't change anything. To be a follower of Christ is to be action-oriented. How does what I'm learning translate into how I'm living? A third thing, and again, these are all very similar, so you can go, oh, it's just nuance, but the third thing is this, to be a follower of Christ is to be in constant training. Now, I say that, and I, I was thinking through as I'm putting this message together and, and writing out the words and verbiage, and I was thinking of language that I use. When you hear that, sometimes I fear a little bit like that feels so daunting. Constant training. But Paul says it in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now, he's, he's using language that the reader then could understand going all the way back to the Isthmian Games, and we talk about the Olympics today or whatever competitions in track and field today, but Paul's saying something we can understand. In a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. We, we understand, we don't, we don't get into a race, a 100-yard dash, and we, you know, we line up, and you're better than I am at this, so bear with me, but we line up, and, and the, the, the gun goes off, and we're like, people are already done, and you've barely finished a quarter of it. He's saying, when you compete, you do it with a certain seriousness. And for you and I, if we say we're followers of Christ, Paul is beckoning to this competitive nature in our hearts when you and I say that we're followers of Christ. We go into a certain kind of training that is forced to change how we live. He says, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? If you want to say you're a follower of Christ, I want you to run this race of faith in a way that you get the prize. And then he goes on to say, anyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to, crown, to get a crown that won't last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I just gave you an example of that. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. And then he says something that you and I bristle against sometimes. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. What is he saying? 
I walk away from, I deny, I lay down the temptation to be selfish, the temptation to do whatever I want to do, the temptation to, and you can fill in the blank with whatever vices it is that pulls you away from what Christ desires in your life. Paul says we are in a certain competition that should challenge us to beat our body, not physically beat ourselves up, not actually give ourselves bruises, but deny our flesh in a way that kills it. He goes on to use in Romans that same language about you and I laying down the flesh. And he admits that we all have a flesh. I'm standing here today, not acting like I'm perfect, but admitting there is a flesh nature in every one of us, including me, that's pulled to do my own thing, to get away with the things I wanna do. But, but I wanna be sure that, like Corinthians says, that I beat my body and make it my slave, that I lay down those things that pull me away from Christ. To be a follower of Christ is to be in constant training. At the end of those verses, he says, no, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself may not be disqualified for the prize. What he's saying is when you and I say we're followers of Christ, Jesus would put it this way in John 15. It means we bear fruit. It means we bear fruit. It means this transformation is happening. It means you and I take seriously the idea that is action-oriented faith, not working for our salvation, but being transformed by the work of the Spirit in us, constant training. And finally, this, to be a follower is to model our lives after the one we're following. See, that's where there's a huge parting of ways between social media and Jesus. And I know we know this, but like I said, I can read all kinds of social media posts about whoever. And like, oh, that's a good one. I like that one. That's cool. But I don't have to make a decision necessarily. But if you and I say that we're a follower of Christ, the whole idea is that we're meant to model our lives after the one we're following. And I love how, again, it's, it's, it's 1 John. In the, in the New Testament in our Bibles, it starts with Gospels, the story of Jesus and his life and death, the burial and resurrection, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, their accounts of, of Jesus' life. And then it moves into the first century church. But John obviously wrote the Gospel of John. He was a disciple. And I go, for some of you, I already know this. It's okay, some people don't. John was a disciple who wrote the testimony of his life in Jesus, the Gospel of John. But later on, as an early church leader, he also wrote some letters to churches. And 1 John is one of those. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, he says this, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And to be honest with you, in studying for this message, I couldn't find any more clear language. There's other language that's pretty clear. But for me, I'm like, this one says it as plain as day. If you say you're a follower of Christ, then the goal is living as Jesus. Now, to me, the beauty of that is this. It means that as long as you and I are living on this earth, we, we have a goal to achieve, but we haven't arrived yet. I, I'm assuming, just by raise of hands, how many of you would say you're exactly like Jesus today? Just raise your hand. Got it nailed, you're good. Okay, it's like that thing, humility. Like as soon as you, you get to the point where like, finally I arrived at that humility I need, it's like, oops, there it goes, right? Like, I'm the most humble person in the room. That's amazing. Like, well, no, I missed it. In the same way, really, it's this picture of you and I saying, I want to be like Christ, 
but it's a beautiful thing that will never have arrived. We're always on this journey of, of responding to the work of the Holy Spirit, of responding to the truth of Scripture, of responding to what we come to learn and understand and grow as we mature in our faith. That's why I keep saying it's this whole idea of how does what I learn today translate into how I live tomorrow, how I live throughout the week. We're, we're good at it on a Sunday. We can put it on today, smile, look good, things are great. But what about how it impacts where you go tomorrow? What decisions you're going to make later this week? How you're going to treat your spouse as we leave here today? What you're going to do about the person you're sideways with? It, it, it impacts everything. See, when you look at Scripture over and over, what we come to realize is this. Aside from a historical record, the Bible, and in particular the New Testament, it's all historical record, but aside from a historical record of what happened during and immediately after Jesus' life, the truth is the New Testament is a guidebook of how to live out our faith. In theological terms, it's the word sanctification. And I know that's a big word. But sanctification is, is simply this, the process of becoming more like Christ. Sanctified set apart by laying aside the things of the world that tempt us away and leaning into the things Jesus wants, set apart for Christ, to follow him every day, to do what he wants each day. It's the working out of our lives, the process of learning what is virtuous and how to implement virtue into our daily lives and the process of learning what vices are and how to walk away from those things in repentance or in the work of the Holy Spirit or practically creating guardrails. R.C. Sproul, a while back, and again, I've respected him, he's passed away, but uh, had a ministry called Ligonier Ministries. He was part of, and they put it this way, Christians becoming increasingly Christ-like as the moral profile of Jesus, in quotes, the, in brackets, the fruit of the Spirit, is progressively formed in them. Paul in Philippians 2.12 talks about this idea of working out our salvation. Don't misunderstand that as working for our salvation. I said, I think maybe last week, that, that sometimes we think we get to this eternity with Jesus because our, the good things in our lives outweigh the bad things. But that's, that's not the equation. When, when we look at what Paul says in working out our salvation with fear and trembling, what he's talking about is the reality of knowing Christ and being confident that if I breathe my last breath now, that I get to enjoy eternity in Christ. Knowing that is, is awesome. But the idea Paul is talking about is, is in essence pulling down our, that, that eternity into our practic, practical everyday lives. Discerning the right and the wrong, leaning into the virtue and walking away from the vice. And, and the whole point Paul makes in Philippians 2, is that the world would see our joy, that the world would know there's something different, that the world would view our humility and our grace and our love and our unity and want that. That's a whole idea that goes back to what Jesus said, go make disciples. It's hard to make disciples when we're divisive. Or we make disciples that learn how to be divisive. It's hard to make disciples when we're angry. 
it's hard to make disciples the way Jesus intends. It's impossible if we live according to the pattern of this world. C.S. Lewis reminds us about this, and I love C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. He's one of my favorite books. He's got a bunch that are, he's just a thinker. But he says this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ to make them little Christs. And we feel uncomfortable with that idea, but that's the picture. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals and clergy and missions and sermons and even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. And again, we read that and go, come on. But if all we're doing, guys, is playing church, if all we're doing is showing up on a day like today so we could check a box, it's not the point. If all we're doing is going through the motions that you and I can just feel good, we miss it. Because the idea of being set apart, the idea of, of, of being transformed to become like Christ, and it's, it's repeated over and over and over, and in this series we'll talk more about it, it's the idea that we can shine a light to a world that needs it. Jesus initiated our mission 2,000 years ago by saying, go make disciples out of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. Going to make disciples starts with you and I being disciples. And that is the beginning of my prayer for this series. God, today, help us wrap our heads around this conversation just as an intro. But I pray that, that there will be truth that resonates in every one of our hearts. That there's something about the danger of this world that we follow so-and-so. And unfortunately, especially in social media world, it doesn't change anything. But when we say we're a follower of Christ, in English it's the same word, but it doesn't mean the same thing. And I pray you would help us to grow deeper because we take seriously that word mathetes, math, the mental challenge of processing through what we know and impacting, and it impacting how we live. God, today I pray we would open our hearts in a fresh way and really throughout this series in a fresh way of being committed to being disciples. And we'll get to it, God. Being disciples that make disciples. It's not my responsibility alone as a pastor or somebody up on some stage saying stuff. It's not a church staff's job somehow alone. We're all in this together. It's my prayer, God. You would rise every one of us up to be disciples that make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Message Podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.